Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You eat a chicken sandwich? This is the press box. The best is their chicken minis, which are these little small rolls that they have butter all over them and like a chicken nugget inside of it and they're delicious. I gotta get out more, man. I have a slice of wheat toast. With Grainy and Bischoff. I gotta get out more. On ESPN Las Vegas. Went crazy this week. Had the raisin toast instead. A little raisin <laughs> toast. It's always good in the morning. A little butter. The wife brings it in. I'm happy for the day. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Let's get to some football. The First Bite. Who should the Raiders sign for the defense and free agency? Someone who can tackle. Someone Everyone. Who can actually the entire everybody. free agent everybody. class. Yes. yes. The Raiders should sign them all. Yes. Yes. Bring them sign them all. And if the fans, the fans want that, the, they want a cap of $300 million for the Raiders. Because every time someone's on Twitter <laughs> that they're available, like, we got to get that guy. It's like, so, like uh, he costs a lot. Uh, we did have on the defensive side, because the Raiders have blown up their offensive line and maybe they'll get Richie Incognito back for cheaper, but they've blown up the offensive line for now. But on defense, they did uh, release LaMarcus Joyner as well yesterday, which saves them about $9 million in cap space. And Joyner probably goes down as one of the worst free agent signings the Raiders have made in the Gruden era because they brought him in for two years. He was, I think until they signed uh, Corey Littleton, I think he was the highest paid defensive player. uh, And he was very bad as a slot cornerback. So he's gone, giving the Raiders some more money to spend on defense. They brought in A.J. Bouye uh, over the weekend for a visit. That's the cornerback the Broncos released. Uh, he was going to make $11 million this season had they not released him. Um, I'm, I'm curious how much the Raiders spend on defense and how many positions they think they need to fill. Because we've heard things like uh, Mike Mayock say that Jonathan Abrams, the starting strong safety for Gus Bradley, or at least that seems to be how they're planning it. So I'm curious, how many positions do the Raiders think they actually need to fill on defense versus how many do we think they need to fill on defense? Because I think they probably need to fill eight or nine. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, Not going (laughs) to disagree with you because they were horrible defensively. I mean, you know, let's rank them. Edge rusher, right? I mean, they got to get an edge rusher. Uh, I think they'd also like to get a defensive tackle. I mean, starting up front, I think you need to add as much as you can because they're just terrible up front, which, you know, leads to a lot of stuff on the back end because they can't pressure anybody and can't get any sacks. Um, Little surprised, but maybe not that he said Abrams the starter. I mean, you know, they've given up on guys. We said, you know, talked yesterday, Trent Brown, Terrell Williams, LaMarcus Joyner. I mean, they were all free agent signings in 2019. They're already gone. I mean, that's not a bad, that's not a good look when you invest like 80 million in guarantee. So maybe there's a sense inside not to give up on guys, even as bad as Abram was at times last year. And Gruden talked about it, like how he had to be more disciplined. But it's a little surprised they said he was the starter right away uh, before waiting to see what was out there. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll replace eight or nine. I'm not saying you're wrong, but to me, you better look up front first because they are, they are not good up front. Yeah, I think you, if you're the Raiders this offseason, you have to get an edge rusher. And yeah. 
I guess conceivably you could draft one in the first round, but I think it's going to be in their best interest to sign a free agent edge rusher. And listen, there's there's some good ones that are out there and good ones that just became available. The Seahawks released Carlos Dunlap. Um, do you remember Carlos Dunlap was the guy that got traded from Cincinnati to Seattle for a seventh-round pick and a backup offensive lineman, and the next mm. day John Gruden said the prices were too high? Yes, to I remember somebody. That, that's right. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and we were just like, uh, wait, what now? Yeah, a seventh-rounder? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? A backup offensive lineman? So... <laughs> Dunlap is a free agent. If you look at Dunlap, uh, he only had six sacks last year, but his previous five seasons, he was 13 and a half, eight, seven and a half, eight, and nine. Um, last year, Crosby's the only guy that had more than three for the Raiders. So Dunlap would probably be the best edge rusher on the team. Like, that's a guy you're probably signing if he wants to come here and it's not a massive deal. Romeo Aquara is a guy that the Lions didn't use the franchise tag on. Um, he was top five in pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, last year and had 10 sacks. So he had a breakout year last year because he didn't do much before then. So there's there's some edge rushers that are out there because that's on top of, you know, the Shaq Barretts, the Carl Lawsons, the Jadavian Clownies, the Yannick Ngakwes that were already out there. So there's some edge rushers out there that the, the Raiders can legitimately go out and add one or even two that could make a difference or that it could at least be better than Max Crosby and Cleveland Furl. And that to me has always been the key. You've got to at least find one guy that's better than Max Crosby to have any sort of chance at having a good pass rush. Do you think the Seahawks said we're going to release Carlos Dunlap because we paid nothing for him. (laughs) And then to counter John Gruden's way too expensive, way too expensive. (laughs) The Seahawks are thinking, well, really gave up nothing for this guy, so we might as well release him and not pay him $14 million. Yes. It's it's not like uh, Antonio (laughs) Brown, where they invested, what, a third and a fifth for Antonio Brown, and they thought, well, we got to make this work. No, no. (laughs) It was a seventh and that backup that we never played, and I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, we'll be Uh, fine without Carlos Dunlap. But that's the the edge is the position they've they've got to get um right and then on top of that i think interior would probably be the most helpful if they can find an impact player on the interior of the defensive line but after that to me they need a new starting cornerback i don't think you can go in the next year with damon arnett as a starter and I honestly think they need to find a starting free safety and a starting strong safety, or at least somebody to be like a, a safety valve in case Jonathan Abram doesn't work out again. Because, it, listen, if we if they say, okay, Abram's the starter, he was a first-round pick, they've got that invested in him, they need him to work out, that's okay, fine. Like, you got to hope and pray that he's a lot better next year. But you've got to have a backup plan because if you go into, you know, if we get into week three next year and Jonathan Abram is still missing as many tackles as he is, he's flying around hurting his teammates more than the other team, he's blowing coverages, you can't just say, well, this is our starting safety. We've got to live with it because we drafted the first round. You've got to have a backup plan. So to me, like, they need a new starting free safety, a new starting cornerback, a new starting edge rusher, a new starting defensive tackle, and then... If not a new starting strong safety, at least somebody that you trust to say, okay, it didn't work out with Abram. You can give us a little bit of competent play when we bench him. Yeah, so of all those, one thing I'm totally going to agree with you on, and I agree that you're right in terms of needing a new one, is Arnett. I think that they're going to stay with Arnett and try to convince themselves 
that they made a good pick there, more so even than Abram. Um, and I just think they go in with the same corners. I'm, you know, I, I do think they need to upgrade there. My, what I'm interested in is, and, and I, you know, we talked before the show, the cap has come out, I think, at uh, 182.5. Um, but we need to uh, make this point that everyone's going to be different because you have to, um, uh, whatever you carried over, you know, you could add your cap. So the Raiders, according to Vinny Bonsignor, the cap will be a, hundred, a little over $190 million. Um, the interesting thing to me is talking about who they're going to sign or draft. And we talked about this. Suppose he gave Jackson's agent is going to shop him to see what he's worth. But if the, and we talked about this, if the number's not what they like because of the lower cap, they could restructure Gabe Jackson, much like everyone thinks they're going to restructure incognito. Now, if they do that, then, okay, your line's coming back into form. If not, I mean, you and I are not going to be surprised if they draft offensive guard in the first round. And then I'm going to be really interested to see how much they spend on that line or offense comparative to defense. Because I think both you and I agree the bulk of the money should go defensively. But with this coach, I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm going to believe it when I see it. I I really am going to believe it when I see it that they go full defense with their money and not try to do something offensively. And again, if they need to rebuild the offensive line, obviously, they're going to have to spend money there. Yeah, and, and listen, the 30 to maybe $40 million if they do get rid of Mariota, which I don't know why we're that still mean, waiting on them to get rid right, of Mariota. Right. Are they holding right. out that somebody's going to trade for him? I don't know. Yeah. But the potential $40 million there, the, the problem with that is they have to find three new starting offensive linemen. Now, yeah. if it's Incognito and Jackson that come back, great. You still have to pay those guys. Those guys aren't coming sure. back for free. So it might be less than anticipated, but, you know, if you – you're going to have to find three starting offensive linemen somewhere, and that's going to cost you some money. And then yeah. they've got to sign a wide receiver. Even if, even if you're the biggest like believer in Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, and you say those two along with Hunter Renfro are our top three wide receivers, right? They don't they don't have other wide receivers on the roster. They still have to sign other wide receivers, even if they're backups. So they have holes. Like they created a lot of cap space. But in doing so, they created a bunch of holes on the roster on the offensive side as well. So how much money are they going to spend on a right tackle? How much money are they going to spend on their two guard positions? How much money are they going to spend on wide receiver? Because they need guys at those spots. And that's going to eat into that $30, $40 million. I mean, even if you went cheap on all four of those positions – you're still spending, you know, 15, maybe even $20 million on the cheap end to fill all four of those positions. You know, if you gave them all $5 million, that's or an average of $5 million. That's 20 million right there. And now all of a sudden you only have what 20 million to spend on defensive players. So which is not good. Yeah. So they, they've got to find a way to get value and how cheap is incognito coming back for, can you get them back for three? That would be a a very helpful thing to pull off. Yeah, it'd be great. The cap space they have looks nice. The problem is, though, is they've got they created holes on their offense that weren't initially mm-hmm. there to create right. that cap space. Yeah, and real quick on Mariota, reading a bunch of stuff yesterday, I, I forgot this part. They might be having a hard time finding a taker because people don't realize on the contract, if he plays a certain amount of snaps, and I think if you're trading for him, you're going to play him, that 10 could become 20. So, you know, with other cap problems on other teams, people might be saying, well, we'd like him as a bridge or whatever, but if we take this contract on, we're not paying him 20-plus, so we'll just wait for them to release him. So I think you're right. I think eventually they're going to have to release him because obviously people are just know that they're not going to keep this guy at $10 million, so they're just going to wait around. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're the Raiders, you don't have to get rid of him, but at some point you probably will just by releasing him. Um, right. So, 
I what? Nobody's coming in to offer a fifth for a seventh swap. Yeah, they're not giving up the much. big five for seven swap that much. everybody loves too so much. much. Yeah, so it's too much. It's I don't know. They the, the Raiders they need like in a perfect world they're signing probably five new starters on defense and three new offensive linemen and a starting wide receiver. That's a perfect world. That's nine new starters. They can't afford nine new starters. No, no, they just they, they can't. just can't. So. At some of these positions we talk about, and maybe that's why they're sitting here saying, well, Jonathan Abram's going to start, and maybe it's because, well, we can't sign 10 new starters, so we're going to have to rely on somebody that wasn't any good to start next year, and maybe that's why they're saying Jonathan Abram is, is you know, locked into that strong safety. Locked in is not, ex- it's not the exact phrase they use, but they said they needed a new free safety no, while strong well, safety was good, so yeah. they're yeah. looking at it that way. Uh, yeah, that's... To some extent, they've got to rely on some of the guys that were on the roster last yeah. year to hope, hope that they get better. be better. And yeah. if they're not, we'll see. The other part is, yeah, they've got they've got draft picks, and how much can you rely outside of the first round on guys to be starters? Uh, we'll see. The Raiders can't even really rely yeah. on first round picks to be good starters. But if they can do well, if they can do well in the draft, you can find two, maybe three other guys that could be competent starters in year one. But again. That's doing well in the draft, and I don't think they've inspired much confidence in that area the last couple of years either. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, When we come back, we are going to talk to Seth Greenberg. It is uh, the best time of year for college basketball as we have the week of conference tournaments that leads us right into Selection Sunday and then the start of the NCAA tournament. Seth Greenberg joins us next. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Joining us now is Seth Greenberg. You can follow him on Twitter at SethOnHoop. Seth, how are you this morning? Hi, Seth. Any better? I couldn't stand it. How you guys doing? We are good. Uh, just um, as good. <laughs> were you were you convinced at any point last night that Gonzaga was actually going to lose? Uh, I convinced? No, not convinced. I, I thought it was great that they actually got punched in the face. It was great that they had some game pressure. I thought it was great that they responded in the manner in which they did. They didn't guard anyone in the first half. Uh, they didn't compete defensively. They didn't make BYU feel them at all. A lot of that had to do with what BYU was doing in their spacing. Uh, but it also showed a little bit of a vulnerability. But offensively, they, I mean, they're just a special, special offensive team. Yeah, Seth, I mean, uh, and, and you know as well as anyone, the whole cliche, okay, the NCAA tournament's about matchups. So if I was going to ask you, if someone will beat them, uh, and I guess shooting 70% in the first half will help by like BYU, but if, the, if people yeah, can't do that, good. yeah, that's pretty good. So what is the matchup? What is the type of team that you believe says, okay, if they play these guys, they will have problems. Yeah. You've got to have a four man that can guard on the floor when Kispers at the four. So that's first and foremost, you've got to be a team that takes care of the basketball so you can eliminate your transition opportunities. And you've got to be a team that takes good shots to eliminate the transition opportunities. I mean, they're ridiculous in transition. They get a shot up every 14 seconds. So having said that, you know, Baylor, obviously, an elite defensive team, versatility in their defense, guards that can break you down, put pressure on you, and a physical frontcourt guy with good feet in uh, Jonathan Chamo Chachua. I think that's a pretty interesting matchup with Timmy because of his ability to move his feet. Uh, Michigan. Uh, a physical front court guy that can play through to maybe get Timmy in foul trouble. 
But Livers and Franz Wagner are really versatile defenders out of the perimeter. And that goes back to my Kispert concept. I like Ohio State uh, for the same reasons. Positionless, attack matchups, very efficient offensively, don't take bad shots. Uh, I like their team. I like Illinois. Uh, Now, I think that that Kofi Coburn would struggle a little bit with uh, Timmy, but I think everything else, I think they would struggle with, uh, to me, the – college basketball's version of a superhero known as Io DeSumo with the masked man. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I like them a lot. I like Illinois the way, the way they're playing right now. Uh, I think it's interesting. I'll tell you, one outside the box one would be Arkansas. Uh, now, I think they might play a little too fast, but Arkansas, Justin Smith's a good matchup for Timmy. Uh, their positions on the perimeter. Uh, Moses Moody uh, is a very good defender with length that they can play at four. Those are a couple teams just off the top of my head. I like the Arkansas one. That is digging a little deep. Um, of of the teams not named Gonzaga, who do you think is the best? Is it still Baylor to you? Yeah, Baylor's really good. I mean, Baylor, look, what Baylor does, and they are, they're, they're the best defensive team I've seen since Coach Tarkanian's UNLV running Rebels teams. I mean, they don't defend, they disrupt. They can guard the ball one-on-one so they don't have to overhelp. They've got great hands. They get deflections. Their front court guys can get out and guard on the perimeter. Uh, they are really something special. So I mean, I, you know, I, I love Baylor. I really like Michigan. You know, Eli Brooks has got to be healthy. Uh, I like they play they play two point guards. So Brooks has got to be healthy. That's going to be big. Uh, but Baylor is 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 special. Like I said, I, I really like Illinois. Joe Wieskamp being out for potentially out for Iowa is a little bit of a concern. And I'm going to give you another sleeper. I don't know if they can play with Gonzaga, but a team that's going to make a two teams are going to make legitimate runs in the tournament, Connecticut behind James Booknight and Oregon. Uh, The mad scientist known as Dana Altman, putting together his team piece by piece by piece and getting them to play the best basketball at the end of the season. Seth, how do you think, and I guess you have to get there to know in terms of the atmosphere, everything in Indy, not as big a crowds. I mean, Final Fours, it's the greatest event, but it won't be the same as how it looks. Will that be able to maybe make things a little even, uh, even more even when you get underdogs playing favorites this year in terms of the atmosphere? Is there any chance that might help an underdog because it's not the regular situation? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, you look at the NBA bubble, and it's a little bit, it was a little different, right? I mean, they said it's the most level playing field, most difficult championship, but the most level playing field. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that could be a factor. But you remember the final four. Now, early rounds, I think it's going to be like scrimmages, like a lot of these games have been in terms of the environment. Right, right. Uh, but to get to the final four, there will be, I guess, some fans. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the NCAA tournament, there is a more level playing field no matter what, I always felt especially those first two round games when people don't travel because people only have enough money to travel so many times. Mm-hmm. So like those first few rounds, there's a lot of just spectators from that city that get tickets that are coming to watch great basketball. So, uh, yeah, I think there'll be a little bit more of a level playing field and there are more good teams, not great teams, but there are more good teams. That, that line, that thin line is, is, is pretty thin this year. Uh, is Loyola Chicago one of those teams? Do you think this team yeah. they have is better than the one they went to the final four? I don't like to compare because I would never want to take anything away from that team. They went to the Final Four. This team just won a championship. They've had a great season. But, you know, I, I look at this Loyola team, and, and Cranmer Krautwig is a absolute 
matchup nightmare. I mean, he's a matchup nightmare. Uh, and I, I think this kid, Brandon Norris, is about as tough as they get. The Williamson kid is a terrific defender. Uh, I think they're really good. They don't turn it over. They turn you over. They don't give you second shots. They can own the tempo of the game. Uh, they get good shots. Um, they're, they're Virginia-esque in a lot of ways, but they turn you over a little bit more. So uh, I think they're, 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 they're a fun watch. Uh, Seth, I know. I think I know which way you're going to go by what you've told us, but we are in Vegas, and it's going to be on the board. If I give you Gonzaga and Baylor, or I give you the field, who do you take? I always take the field. Okay. I always take the field. I just think you know, the odds are with the field. And I'm not a gambler, so you, know, you have people there that know a whole lot more about that than me. Uh, I do. If you th- if you gave me Gonzaga, Michigan State, I'm sorry, Gonzaga, Michigan. And Baylor, I might take that though. Okay, I'll throw Michigan in the swing. Right. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, he is Seth Greenberg again. Follow him on Twitter. It's Seth on Hoop. Seth, we appreciate it. Enjoy the next few weeks. Thanks, Thanks Seth. guys. Appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks. All right, so I threw Michigan is. in for against the field. I like all that. Right. So make make it three teams, and he'll consider three teams instead of two. Okay. Yeah. I think you. Well, still anyone at the books heard that, it'll be up in about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you still have to take the field, right? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I think you do. I think that that's there's just too many teams. I'm interested. I'm I was interested. Uh, like you said, to do a little deep dive on Eric Musselman in Arkansas. That was kind of cool. Listen, I I'm gonna say this though. He mentioned UConn as a team he thinks that could go on a run there. Um, right. I swear to God, if UConn wins another t- national title and they're like a seven seed again, I'm just gonna be mad. <laughs> I'm just going to be mad at why why this keeps happening. I'm just looking. At, so bracket matrix, the the average seed for UConn uh, right now is nine. So if they get in as a oh. nine, I swear to God, if they win another, they'd have to beat a they'd have to beat a one seed. in the second oh, round. If, if, oh. if UConn gets Gonzaga in the second round and beats them, and we're oh. talking about a, nine, I'm going to be so mad about UConn because oh. it's it's one thing mm. like if VCU makes a run as a twelve seed, if Butler makes a run because right. it's like oh. That's the underdog Cinderella story. UConn's like a national power. They just yes. kind of suck a little bit. And right. they get in as a nine. I swear to God, if they win as a nine, I would be so pissed. No one, uh, <laughs> at, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, I have no idea, no one bugged me more than when Calhoun would win. And I don't even know why. Like, I just, it just, it just kind of bugged me. So, and they haven't, like you said, they haven't been like a power lately. So that one kind of surprised me. Like I said, I, I guess I better brush up more on UConn and what they did this year, but. Um, you know, he knows what he's talking about, but yeah, if, if he's an eight or nine seed and have to beat a one in the second round, that, that would not be good. Cause I hope like Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, I hope, I hope it's those teams that go far. That would be, those would be great matchups in like a final four. Yeah. I would, I would love to see those three. Oh, and if it's, great. you know, Illinois or Iowa, yeah. like it's, it's a, it's a good, like Gonzaga might end up proving to be simply better than everybody else this year. But right. it, it it's a good sort of like two through ten. Who's the next best team yes, in college basketball? Exactly. Like it, it's it's a good season because Iowa yeah. Iowa lost a, Iowa lost like seven games this year, something like that. Yeah. But Luca Garza is incredible. Like Illinois lost yeah. a bunch of games too. But but Io's probably my favorite player to watch this year in all of college basketball. Like it's there, there are good teams. There are good teams to get down to you know two to ten that you know be fun to watch. It just don't let it be UConn. How pro was that move of his? Probably the best team since uh, Tark's days with the Run and Rebels. Oh, yeah, he, that, he, that's a pro. He not that's, only yeah. 
he not only gave us a comparison to Tarkanian's team, he also gave us Jonathan Chamochachua can move his how about feet that? as a great defender. That was – how about that? If we that was, like, he said the name right. He had, he had his feet moving. And Musselman, he, he yeah, stayed like, all through it. Man, if we, he if could we have been a guest on technically correct. If we get to the national title game and it's Baylor Gonzaga and Jonathan Chamuschatua oh. is the one responsible for shutting down Drew Timmy, I just oh. think UNLV gives up on the program. Just says, yeah. <laughs> We can't. Nope. We're just not not um, meant to be. Not meant to no. be. Chris Beard went to the national title game. Now Jonathan Chamochach was there shutting <laughs> down like the, the best player in the country. Yeah, we just do you, it's not meant to be. Do you want to see more than anything, Jonathan climb the ladder and hold the net above his head? <laughs> that would be I mean he He'd wouldn't be, be the, the last rafters. one up there. Yeah, he wouldn't be the last one up there, but it would be funny if he just kept cutting the net down and just swung it around his head and stuff like that. And and all of you know he had to watch that, and there he is on top of the ladder. The one he shining was... moment is just a lot of a lot Jonathan Chamachacha. <laughs> yeah. Look at his feet. Look at his feet. He wasn't oh. as good as Mbake Zhang when he was here. I don't <laughs> I don't understand. Maybe he <laughs> was, and they just weren't doing the right no, stuff. We... We saw him play. He wasn't. He wasn't as good as Mbake Zhang when he was here. I don't oh. understand. All right. Coming up next, uh, because we didn't have a first hour yesterday, we kind of didn't get to a lot. We never no. talked about <laughs> Dak Prescott. So we're going to talk about Dak Prescott next. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Breaking news on the Press Box. Yesterday, Dak Prescott signed a four-year deal that's worth $160 million. Um, if you weren't tuned in yesterday, we weren't on the air from 7 to 8 a.m. because the internet was down at the studio, meaning we couldn't connect to Jared from our homes, meaning we didn't get to talk about Dak Prescott. But we're going to do that now because he signed a big deal, finally signed a big deal, an extension with the Cowboys. He's going to get $126 million guaranteed his first season is worth $75 million. It's a $66 million signing bonus combined with a $9 million salary for the year to make up $75 million that Dak will take home in year one. Ultimately, if he plays the whole four years, it averages out to $40 million per year. I'm kind of curious to see what the cap hits will be by year for him. But uh, they gave Dak a lot of money in Dallas. Do you believe Dak is a top five quarterback? Oh, it's a good question. I'm trying to think off the top of my head who I think the five are. I don't think he's top five. Um, I think he's definitely top ten. Um, you mentioned the cap. Michael Gelkin just tweeted, this is interesting. Had they tagged him, he would have counted almost $38 million against the adjusted salary cap. But now he's just 22. So that helps them a lot. Uh, that's a lot of di- that's a lot of cap space uh, just by signing him the long term deal that they can work with other players now. Um, top five, I don't think so. I don't think he's done enough to be a top five quarterback. He's definitely top ten. What what I wanted to ask you is, I thought this was interesting. I think they always were going to sign him long term, and I think his range was going to be given what the the tag was in this range. And people kept saying, "Well, you know, Dak bet on himself. He bet on himself." I thought that was a strange way to put it, given I always thought they were going to sign him anyway. Like, and, and, and I got to be honest with you, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong with this. I mean, when I saw 126 guaranteed, given who some of the other guys have signed for, like, I'm like, that completely makes sense. Like, I didn't say, oh, they overpaid for that guy. You know, I don't know what your reaction was. I saw that contract. I'm like, 
okay, because I think of the cousins and other people who sign these deals. I'm like, yeah, he kind of is in that range. I didn't think it was exorbitant where people reacted like, oh, Dak bought it himself. He got this great deal. I'm like, I, that's what I thought he was going to get anyway. Yeah, he got a he got a big deal, but to me the the interesting part was that he's only he's going to be 28 when he plays this season. 4 mm-hmm. years is is short. Like that that's yeah. a fairly short contract. So, I almost think D- Dak whatever, did he bet on himself and get his big deal now? Know. Yeah, sure, whatever. maybe, but like to me it's almost like Dak is betting on himself on his next deal more than anything because right, right. He, now, now, even if he never plays again after this first season, he's going to get $75 million, He'll be fine. But he's going to be a, a free agent again after his 31st uh, season or after his 31st age 31st season. Birthday, so yeah. that he's going to be in, assuming he plays well for the next four seasons, he's going to be in line for another big deal, which Huge to me, deal. that's where he's betting on himself. Because if yeah, he, listen, I, if the next four years he could play fine but if the Cowboys like don't make the playoffs for four straight years or whatever it is he's probably not getting a big deal that next time around and that would be sort of betting on yourself for the next deal because when you're 28 usually you're signing you know what a six-year deal a seven-year deal like you're normally getting a lot longer than four years on it because hey I'm this is the last big contract I'll sign but Dak the way it's set up Dak might be able to get another big deal depending on how good he is yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I was I was kind of, and now that you say that, that completely makes sense on the next deal because I, I I I thought this was a good contract for both sides. I think that you know you deserve what you can get. I hate the whole deserving thing. I mean, it's what the market bears, and if you get it, good for you. You got seventy five million guaranteed over the first season or worst season, uh, uh, first season one twenty six guaranteed. So I think it's a good deal. I always thought they were signing him. Um, I know you have down this. This will be interesting uh, because. Um, Someone asked this yesterday, and what has been the kind of narrative with Derek Carr and the Raiders in terms of, you know, if they would give him an extension? This is a great question by you because I don't – he would see at 20 now. Like, they, you know, they made the playoffs one time. So he's going to be starting for his eighth year this year. And, you know, not to his fault he didn't play in that playoff game, but they've only made it once. Like, in your opinion – let me get your opinion. Let's say – what is he worth? I mean, I know what, you know, you see other guys sign, you're like, okay, he's as good as him, so maybe he's worth that. Are they going to are they going to put him in this kind of category with an extension? Is that just an obvious thing to do? Yeah, I think the fear if you're the Raiders is that you make the playoffs this year and you do and you do just that, that you give Derek Carr an extension where he gets 40 million dollars a year. But I cuz cuz to me it's it goes back to the conversation that we had with Austin Gale about quarterbacks and how it's, you know, if you're building a team, if you're constructing a roster in a salary cap sport to win a Super Bowl or to be contenders multiple years, your two your best bet is to A, find one of the top five quarterbacks in the league and right. who cares how much you pay him, that guy's great. Or yeah. B, go go after the rookie contracts that paying guys that are seven, eight, nine, ten or worse. million a year is a terrible way to build a roster that can win a Super Bowl. So cars were like based on this contract, because I, because Dak Prescott's better than Derek Carr and Dak Prescott, I think has a higher ceiling than Derek Carr. So like if Dak signed, or excuse me, if Derek Carr signed an extension right now, based on the Dak Prescott deal, it'd be like, okay, he's worth $36 million a year or something like that. Like that's based on this contract. That's what Derek Carr should, should be getting. But if I'm the Raiders, I, I don't, I don't want to do that because I don't view Derek Carr as one of those top five guys that can lead me to a Super Bowl 
not by himself, but almost by himself, like some of the top five quarterbacks in football can. And if he's not that, I don't want to spend 30 plus million. I don't want to spend 20 plus million. I should be spending 5 million on the guy I drafted in the first round. So this year, as far as what happens to Derek Carr, unfortunately for him, it's probably a lot more dependent upon team success than personal success this upcoming year. Because if he's great again, but they miss the playoffs, it's almost impossible to see them extending a quarterback that's never been to the playoffs. Right. I, if you're the Raiders, I just I, I think it's a it would be a bad decision either way to extend Derek Carr simply because he's in that eight to twelve range, and that's just the that's the doomsday range of well, we think we have to extend this guy, and you end up never having a good roster because of it. I I don't know this because I uh, the last eight years, where does the tag come in on him? Is he is he is he? Oh, I don't know either. That? I don't know I, either. I don't I, know. Because, because here's the thing. I'll I, be honest. I don't know the math behind franchise okay. tags well enough well, at all. I just wait I mean, to see them say, here's what the tag is for this yeah. player. Cool. I mean, he's he's going into his eighth year. And I know what they say every time we talk about it. Mayock last week. You know what? They said a lot of good things about Trent Brown, too, when he's gone. I mean, and I'm not putting Derek Carr in that. Because Derek Carr's <laughs> obviously done a heck of a lot more for the, for the team. But I always like kind of pause when they really, you know, pump up anybody because of how this league is, the cap, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, all these names out there, you never know what's going to happen. So I, I'm, I know they say they love him. I'm not so sure. I don't know if I'd extend him if I don't have to, you know what I mean? I'm like, if I don't have to, if, if, you know, I I wait till the end to extend him. I really do because I'm sorry. It's eight years with one playoff run. Eight years, he'd be in his eighth year. So it's been seven with one playoff run. I kind of wait on it. I, you know, and, and, and you make a good point in terms of, okay, let's say they don't make the playoffs. 36 or someone on a rookie deal. I mean, you haven't made the playoffs, then it would have been how many years with, with him. So to, to run and extend him, I don't know what the purpose of that would be. Yeah, and what will be interesting is because Derek Carr has two years left on his deal, the Raiders don't have to do anything no. this year. They, they don't have to do it. And and technically, they don't have to do anything next year next either. Year. I mean, right. based on the contract, they could just let Derek Carr play out the contract. And the cap hit is is in the low 20s for both years. So it's it's not a huge hit against you. The interesting part will be, what does Derek Carr do next offseason? Because if you're a quarterback and you think you're the franchise quarterback going into the last year on a deal. And at that point, it'll be, you know, they can cut him and it's no dead cap hit. Like that's a year when Derek Carr starts, you know, demanding or whatever, a, a new contract. So it'll be curious to see, like, would Derek Carr hold out for a new contract? If the Raiders say, no, we're not going to extend you because you got a year left. Like would Carr hold out for a new deal? Or would he just say, okay, I'll play on the last year, even though these guys aren't really showing they believe in me. Are you suggesting, and I think that you are, but confirm this, that Derek Carr might bet on himself? He might bet on himself. He might bet on himself. You gotta bet on himself. You know, no, you you know who yourself. actually, you know who needs to hold out is Darren Waller. Yeah. Darren Waller. So with a problem. Didn't he for just Waller, get a new deal last year? Well, yeah, but <laughs> his he's getting paid like six million, I think it is this year. He's getting paid six million. They gave Jason Witten four and a half last year. Oh. Like if any, like Darren Waller's broken out as like the superstar. Now the problem for Waller is he's got three years left on his deal, yeah. so yeah. it's it's hard to hold out when you got three years left on oh. the deal. Maybe next off season with two, but 
if, if Darren Waller continues to be this good, when he gets to, what would that be, the 2023 season? If he's oh. still this good over the next two, he'll only have one year left on his deal at 6.7. He's got to hold out and be like, listen, you guys got to pay me. Like, I've been the, the third, second best tight end in football for like four years now. You got to pay me more than $6 million. You got to give me more than the Jason Witten fund that you guys handed out last yeah. season. Darren Waller. The Alex Tuck of the Raiders. <laughs> <It's> underpaid <laughs> for what his production is. Long-term deal, underpaid, lot of value. That's really good news for us because that means we can do that segment like we do with Alex <laughs> Tuck all the time. Yes. But my question to you guys is, is anybody betting on anyone else? Like, is instead of betting on themselves, like, could, could have Dak Prescott, like, bet on Brandon Whedon? Well, he kind of bet on... Andy Dalton. Well, oh, sorry, Andy yeah, Dalton. I got Andy yeah. Dalton and Brandon Whedon confused. Yeah. So I mean, Carr I mean, would yes. be betting, betting on Peterman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. That's uh, yes. Like, like Dak Prescott kind of did bet. Uh, like when we say when people say bet on himself, he kind of just bet on yeah, my backup sucks. So if I get hurt, yeah. they're gonna really like. Do you think Andy Dalton should Dak be giving Andy Dalton a cut of his new deal to be like, yeah, thanks for proving what it was like without me? Eh, just donate to the Andy Dalton fun. Like, <laughs> I mean, make it a charitable you know, you, you thing. That way, I, I liked I liked Jared's uh, comment yesterday. On, on uh, he he texted me and he's right with this offensive line looking the way it is. Maybe you call that high school in Texas and ask Big Wit to come back as a blocker. Oh Jesus! I tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you what they're doing with the offensive line. They are making it as bad as possible. So Russell wit? Wilson feels no. So Russell oh, Wilson so feels, feels comfortable. At, yeah. So he feels at home. <laughs> so he says Tom Cable and a bunch of guys nobody's ever heard of. Oh, I'm in. Hold on. Hold we on. Want a, we want a Super Bowl doing that. Tom. Tom, could you go find me a basketball player that you could convert? <laughs> yeah, I got this Jonathan Chamwa Chatter. Yes. Guy. Yeah. Have you seen his feet? He'd be a great tackle. <laughs> I have been feeding him nothing but pork rinds and donuts, trying to get him up on weight. All right, coming up next, um, we've talked a lot about T.J. Otzelberger at Iowa State, but uh, he might not be the only coach with a serious tie to an upcoming opening job in the Midwest. We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. William Hill is giving you a free 50 bucks to bet. When you sign up for a new mobile sports account, use the promo code GET50, that is G-E-T-5-0. And then when you make a minimum $50 in sports bets, you'll get a free 50 bucks in your account from William Hill. You get a free $50, and you can place all your bets straight from your phone. It's Bet50, Get50 from William Hill. Just remember the promo code GET50. For more details, visit WilliamHill.us. So, Story from over the weekend um, in the San Diego Union Tribune was about uh, Brian Dutcher and possibly taking the Minnesota job because Richard Pitino is apparently on the hot seat in Minnesota. Dutcher was asked about it yesterday. Um, He kind of gave an answer of, you know, I'm focused on San Diego State in the Mountain West Tournament. Uh, but he did also say that the first day of the season, he told his players that if anything comes up about the Minnesota job, that his name is going to be attached because his dad coached there and he went to school there. So he was uh, out in front, apparently, to start this season and let his players know that he might be attached to the Minnesota job there. But the most interesting detail in all of this Brian Dutcher to Minnesota part 
is what was reported in the San Diego Union Tribune. His buyout is $6.9 million. So if he leaves, he's got to pay San Diego State $6.9 million. Unless he goes to Minnesota, and then it's only $1 million. Yeah, I mean, he's this, this is what I think will happen. If he gets on the plane, I think he'll take it for a lot of reasons. One, like you said, he played there. His dad's there. His, he met his wife there. She's from there. All the family's there. But you got to remember also about him. He was an assistant for decades under Steve Fisher. So this is not a guy, and it's all relative. I get that. They all make good money. But this is not a guy who's had head coaching money for like 20 years, no matter where he was at. He's got two grown daughters. I know he wants to set them up. If you go to Minnesota and they say, what do you make there? One, one, good. Here's two, five for five or six years. And you get a coach at your alma mater, the, the, you know, the, the job you always wanted. That's really hard to turn down. If it's anywhere else, he's 61. I don't know if he leaves San Diego, but Minnesota for that kind of money, I just think it's hard to turn down. I mean, his dad's still there and I, that's really hard. So I would suspect if he gets on the plane and they offer it to him, he's, he's, uh, he's going to go now San Diego state. I know is trying to keep him. There's a few things there. One, they can't pay him that much. So they're going to only pay him what they can pay him. They might. And, and the thing about it is it's, it's silly. He's not the highest paid coach at the conference. So I think they would get him to that. He might say, Hey, we're also going to have five more charters a year. At San Diego State, you kind of have to make deals and decide. Much like at UNLV and other Mountain West schools, instead of money, we're going to get this and this. And they might be able to get that to him. But I just think it's a really hard thing to turn down, given what the money would be. Should more teams put in, like, all right, what's your dream job? Okay, cool. We're going to go ahead and triple that buyout. <sighs> right. Oh, that's what I – what is San Diego State doing? Why yeah. Why did they let that clause into the contract where, all right, if you leave us, you got to pay us, Dutch. Like, you, you're good. Yeah. We, need, we need some money. It's like $7 million if you leave us. What's that? You really love Minnesota? Your dad coached there? You went to school there? Okay, we'll make oh, that we'll a $1 million. Yeah, we'll we'll help you out of that. Come on. Yeah. What? Like, did I mean, Dutcher that... have that much leverage when they were negotiating that he could I pick mean... out a specific <laughs> school and say $1 million, please? Is that Maybe... Maybe San Diego State said, we really think Richard Patino's good. And this job is never going to be open as long as Dutcher's with us. So we'll just do that. Well, th- Richard Patino, I think, is 5-20. and 20. They bet like, on, they be, They didn't bet on themselves. They bet, yeah, on, they Richard bet on Richard Patino. Yeah, who, by the way, beat Iowa and Michigan, I believe, this year. What's happening in Minnesota? It's like two of the best wins of the year. He's going to get fired. Jared's right, though. You've got to yeah. you, find out the dream job and triple it. Like yes. Chris Chris Beards at UNLV. Oh, oh, Texas Tech. All right. You're going to have to pay us $27 million if you leave for Texas Tech. Like, and you've got to find the dream job. And it's the buyout is so ridiculous to go to that specific school. And the really sad part is Texas Tech would have said, who do we make the check out to? <laughs> Great. Then UNLV's <laughs> athletic budget has doubled for the year. They're good to go. <laughs>